It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to Hitting Hard with John Chuckery here in Locked On Sports Atlanta. Today on the show, looking back at DeJounte Murray's first year, just what the doctor ordered and somebody's trying to get healthy in a good way. It's all next. It's Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, Locked On Sports Atlanta. This is Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta. And it starts now. Hitting Hard is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit fanduel.com slash locked on today to get started. We ask you to subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcast and get the latest episodes of Hitting Hard as soon as they become available. And then give me a follow on my personal Twitter page at JMCH316. So I saw some interesting comments about DeJounte Murray in his first year in Atlanta. And this comes from the Hawks official YouTube channel. So couple of things that DeJounte Murray had to say. Quote, obviously coming to Atlanta, it was another challenge. But that's the kind of person I am. I want all challenges. I don't want nothing easy. I feel like adversities will really build you, whether it's on, <clears throat> whether it's on or off the floor. And that's pretty much what I can say about that. Then he went on to say as well, that he was talking about the idea of Greg Popovich didn't necessarily look at him as a pure point guard when he first came in the league and things like that. And he worked with Pop and developed into a point guard for the uh, San Antonio Spurs. Then he also said that, quote, about coming to Atlanta, quote, there was a lot of stuff going on here. I mean, from just me getting traded here all the way to now, There was a lot from front office to coaching changes. That's rare to happen in season after the all-star break. You know, Quinn Snyder came and slowly but surely putting in his system during the year. It was kind of like he was in training camp for our practices. So that's not easy practicing, having training camp, then playing Miami or Charlotte, whoever the next day is not easy. And just how we dealt with it with everything. It's a credit to everybody's character, everybody's willingness to get better and the buy-in with Quinn, a new coach with a new guy coming in telling you what to do. It's not easy, but everybody bought into that. So for me personally, I just look forward to continue to get to know him, but also I know that everybody here will be able to benefit from getting a bunch of practices and everything under him for a full year. Now, One of the things about DeJounte Murray is, and and look, I've said, I think DeJounte Murray was the MVP of this team. Wasn't the best player. That was Trey Young. But DeJounte Murray made more winning basketball plays throughout the course of the season. You know, whether it was a steal that turned a game around, you know, to grab an extra possession, a block shot late in a game, a mid-range jumper. I thought Murray had a season where he made really a lot of winning basketball plays for this team. But 
<clears throat> it is interesting because I thought in the Boston series, his defense really let him down. Now, look, you could say Tatum and Brown and all this kind of stuff. Okay, I'll buy into that. But, you know, certainly he did not play a lot of great defense in the Celtic series. But this is the interesting thing that I want to bring up about Murray. You could make an argument that he came from <clears throat> he came from the most stable coaching and front office situation in the entirety of the NBA to maybe the most dysfunctional front office coaching situation in the NBA. Like you have Greg Popovich on one hand, right? That he is the unquestioned leader of that organization, right? And they have no issues in their front office. Like even with Pop not winning right now, nobody's going to question his authority. Nobody's going to question the idea of him turning these things around. Now, look, you, you have several more years where you don't play well. Okay, then maybe there's a case to be made. But obviously with what Pop has done, whatever it is, five championships or whatever like that, his resume speaks for itself. So there was never any idea of Pop being blown out or anything like that. Then you come here to Atlanta, and obviously he was traded, so it's not like he picked Atlanta as a free agent. He was traded, and you come to a situation where your general manager, who's helped build the organization the last couple few years, is in complete flux. Then your head coach, who you know at times was popular, at times wasn't popular, and then he ends up getting blown out <coughs> three-quarters of the way through the season. And now you bring in a whole nother coaching regime. And, and look, we talked about the idea that it was a unique situation to have brought a head coach in of Quinn Snyder's caliber three quarters of the way through the season as it was. So you already were in a unique position. So when you look at what Murray kind of went through, you know, and, and look, I'm very optimistic about the future, but it does make you wonder that if he wants to be in Atlanta for the long term. <clears throat> and the question I have, and this is another question for Landry Fields or Quinn Snyder or, you know, Kyle Corver or whoever's running the organization right now. My question would be, are you going to offer DeJounte Murray an extension over the summertime? Because with the new CBA in place, there are, you know, ways to offer more money now. So one of the things that was negotiated in the CBA was the ability to offer your own individual players a higher percentage of their salary as an extension, okay? So where in the past, I think it was 120%, make that numbers somewhere around 130, 140, 150% now. So you could offer a guy more money as an extension. The downside though is, is obviously, you know, if he's looking to cash in, which again, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know where that stands as far as the importance and things like that. But, you know, if he's looking to cash in, then you go and make yourself a free agent. <clears throat> you allow yourself to play out next season and become a free agent when all of this is said and done. So I, I do wonder whether or not he's going to be here for the long term. 
And obviously one of the questions that needs to be asked is, okay, let's say he doesn't sign an extension. Okay. Are you willing to play out next year with DeJounte Murray on just his expiring contract? Or if you get antsy or if things don't go well, do you try to move DeJounte Murray? Do you try to move him out of the picture? Because you, you obviously you want to try to get something back versus him just walking out of this organization. But I'm hoping that DeJounte Murray will be here for the long term. And I hope Quinn Snyder was impressive enough for him to say, okay, we can make this thing work with myself and Trey Young. Because when those two guys played well and they did come together, you saw that they had really good results, right? I mean, we saw that when those two guys were on, no matter what anybody else did, they could carry this team to victory. And we've talked about the idea of, you know, right now the Hawks go as Trey Young goes. Well, that's not necessarily a good long-term formula when you have to rely on one guy for everything and be on his back. So I hope DeJounte Murray will be here for the long term, <clears throat> whether that's an extension coming his way, whether that's he signs a new deal as a free agent. But obviously, you don't want to just lose him as, as a player and, and get nothing back. But certainly, I think that he had some really good moments in Atlanta in that first year. But I do think that there was an emotional toll on just the idea of going from the best-run organization in the NBA to maybe the most dysfunctional organization in the NBA. And that can be tough for young players to handle at different times. All right, let's talk about our friends over at Built Bar. Listen, Built Bar's got you covered as we're all trying to eat healthier, get healthier, get those snacks in you that are low sugar, low calorie, low carb snacks. So Built Bar has all the options available as far as all the different flavors. And we're giving you another, a couple of ways now to buy your Built Bars. So whether you go to Built.com today and go the route of online shopping, wait for your Built Bars to come to you, pick out all of the great flavors you can choose from. And obviously there's the traditional protein bars and the marshmallow, the protein infused marshmallow puffs that are available, all kinds of great flavors, but you can either go to built.com or now you can go to the pharmacy section of Walmart and grab your box of built bars right there off the shelf. Or you can go to Sam's club and grab your box of built bars off the shelf. So whether you go to the brick and mortar route and go to Walmart or Sam's club, grab your built bars or if you go to built.com, they've got you covered either way for your great tasting, low calorie, low carb, low sugar snacks. So the Miami uh, Marlins um, certainly got roughed up last night by the Atlanta Braves as the uh, Braves beat them 14 to six last night in what was a home run barrage. Ozuna hit a couple of home runs, including a grand slam. Riley homered in the game. Uh, Ronnie homered in the game, Michael Harris homered in the game, just to give you an idea uh, of what the bottom of their lineup did. Their bottom of their lineup was eight for 15 with six runs scored and seven RBI. That's your seven, eight, and nine hitters. Ronnie scored twice and had three runs. Matt Olson had a hit with a run scored. Riley had the two run homer and he scored a run. Murphy had a couple of hits. Ozzie Albies had four hits and two runs and two driven in. So 
everybody has been getting healthy over these last couple of games. And obviously the Braves are going for the sweep now. And we talked yesterday about the idea of they're now 14 and three on the road. That's one of the best starts in major league baseball history on the road. And certainly the best percentage that any team has been able to play on the road. But if you look at where the Braves have been against the Miami Marlins, every time that they have faced the Marlins over the last several years, it's been just what the doctor has ordered. So let me give you the numbers. Since 2016, not counting the results of this year's games, so not counting 2023, but 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, okay? The Braves have been 81 and 42 versus the Marlins. That's a 658 winning percentage. So basically, they are winning two out of every three games that they play against the Miami Marlins, no matter what year, right? They've been 13 and six one year, 11 and eight, six and four in the pandemic year. Then they've also been 15 and four, 14 and five and 18 and 19. So it hasn't mattered that the Miami Marlins, whether they've been good or whether they've been bad or whether they've been mediocre, whatever they've been, the Braves have owned them. And, and this has been a situation where, you know, sometimes you have to have some teams that <coughs> you get right against, right? Like you have to have those get right teams. And for Miami, you know, look, they're a divisional foe. You know that you're going to play them 19 times. Hey, listen, the Mets play them 19 times. The Nationals play them 19 times. So you can't argue with, you know, the schedule or anything like that at all. It's unfair that, you know, the Braves get to play the Marlins more. That's that's their division foe. You know, it's the same thing with the Oakland A's. Same thing with, you know, uh, some of these other vagabond <coughs> organizations. <coughs> that, look, you play the bad teams as well. So the Miami Marlins have been just what the doctor ordered as an elixir for if you're struggling offensively. And if you're not able to get right, you can play the Miami Marlins and find a way to get healthy, right? I mean, Olsen and Riley <coughs> have been a couple of guys that have kind of struggled of late here. You know, Olsen had been on a stretch where 13 games, he was hitting a buck 50. Riley's obviously had his struggles. He's at 239. But you take Marcelo Zuna, who we're going to talk about here in just a couple of minutes. He was hitting 085. And now, look, it's not impressive in some ways that, you know, he's hitting now 147. But still, if you get all of these guys hot, you know, and it, and it speaks to the depth of the Braves lineup that the bottom of their order had eight hits in a game last night. And <clears throat> that's obviously the thing that we have talked a lot about, the depth of the Braves lineup. But these are get-right games. And the Braves are taking full advantage of it. And the Braves have taken advantage of it for the last almost decade when it comes to playing the Marlins. Look, you're not going to go 81 and 42 versus the Dodgers, Mets, and the best teams in the National League, right? The Padres or the Phillies or whatever team is hot for that year. But you have to beat up on those bad teams. And when you get a chance <clears throat> to play, 19 games against a lesser foe and a weaker foe, 
you kick them when they're down. You take advantage of that. And the Braves have done a great job of not allowing the Marlins to be an organization that, oh, it always they always play them tough and, you know, these games are always back and forth. No, by and large, they've always had a winning record against the Marlins. Some years it's been a little bit closer, 11 and 7, 11 and 8. Some years, again, it's been 15 and 4, 14 and 5. Well, if you can pick up, you know, four, five, 10 games against one opponent, then you're doing your job. So look, say what you will about the Marlins, okay? Doesn't matter if they've been good, doesn't matter if they've been bad. One thing about the Braves, though, is that they've always been able to beat the Marlins and pad their record. And at 81 and 42 since 2016, where you've won, you can almost guarantee yourself that you're going to win two out of three games. That's a pretty good feeling and a feeling of that we can go out and no matter how good these guys are or what have you, go out there and beat them. Whether it's at home, on the road, it really hasn't mattered over the course of these last several years for the Atlanta Braves. So give them some credit as far as they don't get beat by some of these floundering teams. They don't let some of these floundering organizations step up and take care of their business against the Braves where they just go out there and every series, every time they play, they go out there and just know that they're going to win. Definitely a confidence factor for this Braves team. All right. We thank you for making Hitting Hard with John Chuck where your first listen every day. Make sure that you go in and make uh, uh, a comment uh, in the comment section of whatever platform that you're listening on to let us know that you're an everyday listener. So we call these folks our everydayers, right? So go in the comment section on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcast from and leave us a comment that you are an everyday listener. Let us know that you do listen in every day as we thank you so much for being an everydayer. Thank you so much for obviously listening in five days a week to the content that we're providing to you. So one of the guys that was big last night for the Braves, obviously, <coughs> was Marcelo Zuna. Three for five, three runs scored, five RBI, and he had two homers in the game. He hit a uh, solo home run, and then he also had the grand slam last night. Now, I know that a lot of people, obviously, we've discussed this on the show. How much longer can this experiment last or this or that? You know, when he's floundering around, you know, coming into this series, he was hitting 085. Now, not that 147 is any great shakes, but he has been much better in a series like this. And we've discussed the idea that, look, as you have these injuries and you want to maintain the depth of your lineup, even if he's just a specialist and, you know, you know, whether he's good against left-handers or, you know, he's got certain matchups against pitchers that he does well in. All of that is just valuable to the Braves because the Atlanta Braves, I, I think personally, that they are going to wait until the very bitter end before they have to make a decision on Marcelo Zuno. And so if you're going to give him the benefit of the doubt to try to earn that $37 million or get hot where maybe he becomes a piece that the Braves could trade away, you know, maybe in a separate deal that, you know, includes some other prospects or things like that. But you want Marcelo Zuna 
to play well. First off, it's good for the Braves, okay? So, again, if he plays well, you may not personally like him and what he's done, but it's good for the ball club. Second of all, if he does play well, then he might have some trade value. Because right now, <clears throat> who's trading for an 085 hitter that's a one-trick pony that can doesn't steal a base, doesn't play defense, you know, isn't a guy that's a high average guy. He's not a high on base percentage guy. Yes, when he gets a hold of one, he hits it a long way. But he's a one-trick pony. If that's his only trick that's available, then, you know, again, and he doesn't have any kind of other discernible skills, defense, speed, this, that, and the other, makes it tough to move a guy when he's got $37 million that's owed to him. So if he does well, the idea of being able to trade him increases, where again, maybe you can put him as a piece in a package and be able to move on from him. But it's better that Marcelo Zuna plays well. Again, I know a lot of people want to see him fail and they want to see him, you know, just get DFA'd and all this kind of stuff, but the Braves are just not going to arbitrarily DFA him. Look, if the Braves were going to DFA him, they've already done it, right? He's given them plenty of opportunity to go in there and DFA him. He's given them plenty of opportunity to just say, you know what? We're going to eat the $37 million and we're going to cut ties and we're just going to move on. And whether that's been on the field, off the field, all of the different things, we know everything that's going on, right? But they're going to wait to the bitter end to have to make this kind of move. And Brian Snitker's, going to give him an opportunity to kind of work himself out of this, right? He talked a couple weeks ago about the idea of, look, Marcelo Zuna is a guy who can get himself out of these funks, and when he gets right, he can be a real benefit and things like that. So don't root against Marcelo Zuna from the standpoint of, hey, <coughs> he's playing well, and you know now he decides to play well, and <coughs> now Snicker's going to play him more. If he's playing well... That's good for the ball club. That's good for the ball club. It increases his trade value because I'd rather have that than him floundering around and waiting on, you know, looking at my watch and waiting on when they're going to DFA him. They, they've said no indications about the idea of that they're, you know, it's now or never or what's the deadline? Is it going to be? I mean, here we are in the month of May now. And they're still kind of, I mean, look, he gave him plenty of opportunities in the month of April to say, you know what, this is not working out. Maybe he needs a change of scenery. You know, he's hitting really poorly. He doesn't do a lot of other things. Let's go ahead and cut him now and open up a roster spot. But they want him to try to succeed. They want him to either help the ball club out or make himself valuable enough to where they can move on from him but they don't want to DFA him at the end of the year or at the, I should say at the end of the day, they don't want to have to DFA him. They don't want to have to just eat the money and move on, you know, without him and have $37 million where he can go help somebody else. So I get the idea of not being a fan of Marcelo Zuna. I get the idea of, you know, in some ways wanting him to fail because they will speed this process up. But can I tell you, the process may be able to be sped up even more 
if he's successful. I think the process is more of they put together a trade package if he's successful than if they DFA him if he's not successful. I think there's a faster track for him being successful to get him out of here versus the other option. So, look, I get it. Nobody really likes Marcelo Zuna. He's a one-trick pony. He's not been a very good player, okay? But if you want to move on from from, uh, Marcelo Zuna, then allow him to succeed, find a role, find a spot, and then he becomes valuable as far as at least a piece as part of a package to move on from. All right, thank you so much for making Hitting Hard with John Chuck for your first listen. Make sure when you listen to the show that you go into the comment section of YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcast from and leave us a comment that you are an everyday listener. So we call them our everydayers. We thank you so much for being a part of our community, growing this thing just over a year now that we've been uh, around. And we thank you so much for always listening in and tuning in every single day to all of our shows. So we uh, thank you for all of that. You can subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcast from. You can get the latest episodes of Hitting Hard as soon as they become available. And then give me a follow on my personal Twitter page. That would be at JMCH316. We'll be back with you tomorrow. This has been Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, Locked on Sports Atlanta. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.